Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right, Evan. It is another B&E podcast, and it's number 103. With you and me. <laughs> so, that was great. I didn't know what you were, where you were going to go with uh, whatever that vocal thing was that you were doing. It was like, oh, is he about to like explode? But then no, you know, it was like contained chaos. Well, you know, I figured I'd change it up a little. Yeah. I haven't done an introduction in a while and... And I you felt know. like making the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Let it come to me as it, as it came and it went. <laughs> <laughs> it came and it went and now it has begun. Um, so, uh, so, uh, we're doing that not so serious thing. Yeah. We don't today. have a topic. Um, we're going to find it as we go. Yep. Maybe, maybe we won't. Maybe we will. If you read the title that has some idea what we talk about. Yeah. <laughs> But who knows? Um, I never, that never gets old to me. No. I just like, there's something that I absolutely love about that, that it's just like, yes, if you've clicked on the episode and you're listening to it because it's of interest to you at this moment in time of recording, we have no idea <laughs> what we're going to talk about. No idea whatsoever. Um, but we will get into something. We will get into something. And usually these talks are around artistry and industry and industry and, uh, usually somewhat related to like kind of our own lives in terms of what, uh, what's going on mm-hmm. and our own sort of creative endeavors and artistic ambitions and movements. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, I think one of the big things that I've been kind of battling with in my own life has been, um, this whole idea of always making progress all the time, you know, Mm. and, um, how that's not really serving me as much as I think it is. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, and the other thing is too, is that like progress, progress is, I think in so many ways it can be such a subjective thing as well because like, well, what are the conditions of making progress? How do you know that you've made progress? Because sometimes as we should know from how many discussions we've had (laughs) on this show and with other artists, sometimes it's like the, those setbacks are still actually progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But progress is a funny thing too, because it's, you know, even the idea of progress that we have in, at least I have in my mind is always this feeling that I need to get somewhere and do something. Right. And like, what I'm kind of starting to realize more now is like, maybe, maybe I don't need to get there. Maybe I don't actually want to get there. Maybe that's just something that I thought I wanted or, or whatever. And, um, you know, and maybe I'm still going to do what I'm doing, but maybe I'm going to do it for different reasons. I've been realizing a lot that the why is important. Like it's not just why to motivate yourself. Like I used to look at why as like, well, as long as I motivate myself, then it's good. But now I don't think it's so simple anymore. I think it's like, why? Because it's projective of where I'm thinking and and how my world works, you know? Right. And, um, like I think when I was younger, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this before, but like 
you know, when you start in the film industry or something, part of it's kind of probably to get recognized or have some fame or whatever. And like, there's still a part of me that still functions from that initial belief. And even though I know that I've changed my belief a lot on a conscious level, there's a subconscious part of me that's kind of like, like still fighting for that, you know? And, um, yeah. And kind of letting that go and going like, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter if I ever make a big deal out of myself with this career or make a big deal out of this career. I mean, maybe, um, maybe I just do it because I actually just want to do it. And all that other stuff is actually just nonsense. And it's just distracting me. And like, that's kind of more the real kind of place I've been coming from. But I think I still have this like ego that is like, yeah, but like you committed, you said you would do this. And like, (laughs) it's like, yeah, but we said we would do that when we were like naive and young and we didn't know any better. Like, like, it's not like a broken commitment. Like that's, I think the hard part for me right now is it feels like, um, let me, let me kind of stem where this came from. Actually, right. I'm going to go back a little bit. All right. We're going to go back in time. Can I go back? Cause I had a realization a little while ago and I think it's a male challenge. I think it's a challenge many males have. I'm not, it's not entirely unique to me, but, um, in our culture in North America, I mean, look at Donald Trump, right? He's dating a supermodel or he's, he's a supermodel looking wife Yeah, and he's super wealthy and whatever. I think a lot of us believe that we need to have that, you know, that that's, um, I'm not saying I want to be Donald Trump, but he, there's a reason why he's in office. He's in office partly because he is the model of the American dream. You know, he is what we as men believe we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have power. We're supposed to have money. We're supposed to have a good looking woman. Yeah. We're supposed to have these things and that's what we've been indoctrinated into. Yeah. Right. Maybe not the hair. Yeah. Maybe not the hair. (laughs) Maybe not the orange skin tone. Yeah. But (laughs) regardless, um, you know, I think as, as men, we've been kind of pushed for this our whole life. I mean, everything about our, our life growing up as a man has been about success all the time, you know? And I think, um, when a man decides, fuck it, I'm just going to give up and I'm just going to settle in. I think there's a part of our culture that accepts it, but a part of our culture that looks down on it too. And I don't think that's just projective of me. I think that's actually like, we, we have a struggle with, with this whole thing. And I don't think you have to give up and I don't think you necessarily have to live it. But I was realizing this just with my dating life. Like, you know, um, this idea that I'm supposed to date someone who looks a certain way mm. and it, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to say because it's like, why do I believe that I need to be with someone that looks a certain way? Why, why don't I care more about their, like their qualities as a person? Why does that not matter to me more? And like, it matters to me, but there's this part of me. It's like, well, um, and, and, and the thing is, is as I get older, I'm realizing I'm, re- I'm more aware of like what I'm, what I'm doing. And I'm like, wow, like I've set it up where, what I want is like this unicorn. It's, it's impossible. Mm. And, and if I hang on to it, I might be single for the rest of my life. And a friend pointed out, he said, well, you know, that's, there's, there's an okay thing about that. You could be single for the rest of your life. You could hang on to this ideal. Um, and you could die knowing that you hung on to this ideal. And there's this part of me that was like, I don't know if that's really who I want to be. I don't know if I'm going to hang on to that. I think I, you know, I want to look at like, 
be more in reality of what, what actually is, what's actually possible and not cloud all of what I want based on what I think I'm supposed to want. Mm -hmm. So the long and the short of what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, I get all these, since I've been a kid and I recognize this a long time for a long time, since I've been a young kid, I remember looking at magazines and seeing what a woman is supposed to look like Yeah, based on what I'm supposed to like as a man. And I've been realizing recently more and more is like, I don't know if I actually like that. Although everyone else will say that's what hot is. That's what pretty is. That's what whatever. And I'm realizing like, you know, um, honestly, some of the women that I've been the most attracted to are more heavy set. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yet I'm supposed to like this girl who's paper thin. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Now I'm not saying I don't like women who are paper thin or, or thin. I'm not There's saying all kinds of different bodies, right? What I'm realizing is it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. This is what I'm realizing. And I, like, it took me a long time to get to this point to like hit this point, but I'm realizing I'm like, this is the same as my career. My career is supposed to look a certain way in my mind. Mm. And now it doesn't look that way. So why can't I be happy with the way it is as opposed to like need it to look some other way? Like when I was younger, if you would have asked me, I would have wanted to have like the career of like Brad Pitt or something like that. Mm -hmm. My career doesn't look like Brad Pitt, you know, and I don't know if it ever will. And that's fine. But the thing is, is like I was attached to this idea of a career, just like I was attached to this idea of a romantic partner, just like I was attached to the idea of many things. And I'm realizing now more and more that this idea might be good in a certain sense, but it's destructive in many others. And it's like, am I willing to keep this destructive thing in my life? That isn't even really what I know that I want. You know what I mean? And, and anyway, I've been, I've been kind of coming through this whirlwind of kind of like, um, confronting these things that have been kind of pre-programmed into me Mm -hmm. just based on social culture. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to, yeah, like you've got to really reflect this, this conversation is reminding me a little bit of kind of like what we were talking about a bit with Mark on the last couple of things, you know, this, like these transition stages, this, um, sort of evolving, this growing up, um, as an artist, uh, where you have to kind of examine some of your beliefs, some of these things that you just, and, and I think that we're all, we all, go through that to some degree. I mean, we have a lot of ideas about how we think things are going to go for us or how things are supposed to go. And, uh, things almost never go according to plan, you know, never exactly according to plan. And especially when you're in the arts, like it's like, forget about it. Like forget the plan. Like it's not going to go the way that you, you want it to most, for most people, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's maybe the odd few cases of people who it's just like, yeah, like they're, they're that sort of one in a million story. And they're just like, yeah, I was discovered off of the freaking street or, you know, I got picked up in my first audition, you know, and it was just, it was magic and blah, 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 blah. Um, although there's usually a lot of other sort of I think repercussions that end up coming from those types of stories. Um, but at some point you face some, some level of adversity when the plan suddenly does not go according to the plan. And now what the hell do you do? Right? Because yeah, you've got this whole idea in your head about what something is supposed to be. And 
when it's not, when it's no longer looking like that, reflecting that sort of ideology, it's, it causes a lot of, of misery, Mm -hmm. right? Like the, you know, like the Buddha had said, like desire is the root of all suffering. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, there's a paradox to that, um, which is that, you know, it's like, well, desire is the root of all suffering, but then for a lot of like, for within Buddhism, then the desire becomes to not be with desire. Right. So it's this weird thing. Like, I I don't even know where I'm going to go with this, but, (laughs) but it's, it's this part of us. We do have desire within us. And it's like, how do we have desire for certain things with, um, without it causing, causing us a lot of pain and causing us a lot of suffering, right? Like, you know, for you, for example, and I, I'm the same, same way. Like I wanted to be famous. You know, I loved acting cause I had like, I had such a blast doing it. I had so much fun and I was good at it and, uh, still I'm good at it as far as I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like when I was getting out of high school, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to be famous you know, I'm going to be in the movies. Like I'm going to be on at the time, like I'm going to be on Jay Leno and Letterman and blah, 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 blah. And it's just going to be, I'm going to be living the life and you living the life and hopping all over the place and doing interviews and making movies. And you know, that's all great. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with that picture. And I think, so what I, what I want to say is like this idea of fame, like as a specific example, I think it's, I I think that there is still a, there will always be a part of me that kind of desires that, Hmm. you know, it's not the same way that it used to be. Like, I'm not, I am no longer dependent on that. I'm no longer hanging my happiness on that just because that's a silly thing to hang your happiness in life and your ability to create on. And that's not what it's even really all about. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a byproduct and it's, and it's a completely superficial thing. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I know I've told this story to a few people. I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but, um, that story about the guy with the styrofoam cup. Mm. Yeah. You've said it a few times. Yeah. It's just like, but basically it's this guy who was treated like really well at one point because of his position in life. And then like a year later, no longer holding that position. Um, you know, he was like, there he was finding himself like pouring his own coffee out of a machine into a styrofoam cup. And he's like, I deserve this. This is what I deserve. My title got me everything else before. Right. Right. So it's like fame. It's like, yeah, no, like people aren't showering you with this stuff because of who you are. They're showering it on you because of the position you hold. You are a person do for them. Yeah. You are a famous person. You know, some people are just famous for being famous. You know, we've seen lots of those types of stories. You know, it's like, it's, you know, like you can create fame out of pretty much anything Mm -hmm. almost like no matter what walk of life. I mean, acting is just one sort of way that you do it. Uh, but anyhow, I digress. Um, there's, I think there will always be a part of me that kind of like, would be like, yeah, it would be kind of cool to be famous for a while, to have that experience, right. To, to be able to, to do some of these things that were, were sort of childhood fantasies in a lot of ways. Right. So 
what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. Right? Like if I'm going to, I, the only thing I can do is try and make peace with that to some degree, Mm. right? Like not have it be this thing that crushes me, but also be something that I'm still open to at the same time. Yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, it's, it's making it wrong, I think, because that's the other thing. It's like you make it like everything. And then I think the then the pendulum swings the other way. And suddenly you make it this thing that's really wrong. It's like, oh, well, fame is like it's bullshit. You know, it's blah, blah, blah. You can get really cynical about it. And it's like, well, no, it's just a different experience of life. Like it's like anybody else's experience of life. You know, you, you grew up rich, you grew up poor, you grew up, um, you know, in a, in a, your family were, were immigrants, maybe your first generation in a new country, or maybe, you know, you're, you've, I don't know, you're just, uh, you are a foreigner or something like, and you're now living in a new country or whatever. Like these are all, it's just a different experience of life. And it's not, it's, it's nothing, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's not, I don't know. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm going to drink. I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, I was talking to a few guys and like, you know, with their like wives and stuff like that. And, and they were, they were sharing pretty openly with me and about how like sometimes, you know, they feel like they, they feel like they've settled in certain ways. Like they'll look at another woman and they'll be like, Oh man, like that's who I want. And the thing is, is like they, you know, I think where, where they kind of came from was an interesting just take to really see was like, it's not that you're not more attracted physically to some other woman. But the thing is, is that like the woman that you choose, and I suppose it's the same for women with men, you know, it's, it's, it's not like a one way street. Um, but it's like you recognize things with that person that are more valuable to you and more important and of higher value than any type of like attraction there. Mm-hmm. I think for me, like one of the challenges that I've been facing a little bit in my life has been, I've never wanted to settle. I never wanted to be someone who settled. And I, and I had this idea of what that meant and what it meant to like give up and take the easier road. I always wanted to be someone who lived up to my ideals and whatnot. Yeah. And I think that what I've realized more as I get older is that there's a reality to the world that, um, you know, is maybe not the same thing I based my dreams out of. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a kid, when you're a little kid, you don't have a lot of reality data about the world. You, you kind of, everything is like a fairy, fairy princess prince kind of situation. I mean, yeah. it really just is. And so, you know, you don't realize that pretty much every human being you're ever going to meet is flawed in some way. They have some cross they have to bear. They have mm-hmm. some story about their life, you know, and usually when they don't, they're usually not the people that you f- are going to find the deepest connection with because they don't, they haven't had enough life experience. They're almost childish in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know, there's this, um, there's this, uh, idea that was presented to me about three years ago, two or three years ago, something like that. Yeah. And someone said, okay, well, you can have a liar. You can have someone who's a truth teller. Okay. You can have some, this is, you can have someone who's a truth teller. They've always told the truth. They've never lied. They don't even know what a lie is. They've never lied. They always tell the truth, which is basically doesn't exist. Yeah. 
But there's some people who pretend, and you can exchange this for lying, you could exchange it for anything, but let's just use lying for the time being. Mm-hmm. So you have the person who has never lied, the truth teller. And maybe they have lied, but they're in denial. They just have never lied. And so they live this life of kind of like, I'm perfect. Everything's perfect. I've never done wrong in the world. And anyone who has is less than I am in a sense. Right. Um, they, the, that person has a certain naivety because maybe they even do believe that maybe they don't even believe it in a weird malicious kind of like, I'm better than everybody, but just simply they haven't had enough life experience to realize why the lie might actually be better than telling the truth in certain scenario. It actually might be better to tell the lie. For example, and I know I'm going off topic a little, but hang with me. Yeah. The little kid draws a painting. You hate it personally. You think it's shit, but they ask you what the, what you think of it. And instead of hurting their feelings and saying, I think it's a piece of shit. I think you can do a lot better. <laughs> you say something more along the lines is like, good, you're doing a really good job you know, which might actually to you not necessarily be truthful, whatever, you know, yeah. there's a certain way in which we lie. There's other things. There's a lie, which we lie because we try to cover our asses or we do things that are, you know, whatever. So there's, there's the person who's the always truth teller. Then there's the next person who has lied and they've lied now and they know they've lied, but instead they've decided that they like the lie. They said, I like the lie. I, I think every lie I tell is, is right and good. And I should tell it because I know me and I'm just going to stand by it. Even though they know like lying in and of itself is not good. Mm. Take this with cheating, take this with lying, take this with stealing, take it with anything. It doesn't really matter. I've stole, I've cheated, I've done whatever. This is the person that talks themselves out of doing the deed and they make forgiveness for themselves in a way where they haven't forgiven themselves, mm. but they just justify it. And that person is the kind of a dangerous person because that person now, and this is actually kind of, unfortunately, uh, in some ways, maybe a bit of a bulk of our society. It's where apathy comes in. It's where a lot of stuff comes in. So what happens is you, is you go, I'm going to stand by my lie. I'm going to stand by my cheating. I'm going to stand by my stealing. And I'm going to say it's okay. And I don't even want to look at it. I do what I do. And I know what's best for me. Then there's the third person. This is the third person, which is told the lie. And they thought that wasn't good Mm. or did the steal. They stole or they cheated or they did whatever they did. I don't know. You take whatever you want. I just want to give you the parallels. And then they, they said, I don't like that. I did that. And I actually kind of hate myself for it a little bit. And they realize the wrong and decide to forgive themselves. And so instead they decide to be better in spite of their bad act. Yeah. Right this is the healthiest person. This is the truest person of society. This is the person who has made flaw, has realized their moral ethical side of it and built a certain humanity about it. The reason why this person is so powerful is because they also can accept that other people might've lied, cheated, stole, and that if they could forgive themselves for it, they could forgive another human being, which actually creates humanity. Right. So, the highest caliber of person you could ever pair with is obviously the third, but we try to pretend we're the first or we stand by the second instead, because those are safer, easier choices. But if we do either of those, we never build humanity. Yeah. And humanity ultimately is where 
if you ever want to have a relationship or a friendship or anything of any substance, even a career, you need to build the third, which is the humanity of it, which is I fucked up, but I, I recognize why I did. I forgive myself and I move forward. I think, yeah. And that's definitely like an accepting of reality. Like I said the other day, it's just like this, this thought occurred to me. It's like that we can convince ourselves of anything, but fool ourselves of nothing. Mm. Right. You know, it's like, you can convince yourself that what you did was the right thing, but you can't fool yourself. Right. Like deep down, we fucking know. Yeah. We know. <laughs> we always do. You know, when we do something shitty, we can tell a story. We do like, you can see it happen all the time. You know, like we, we tell a story about it. it's like, well, no. And we, yeah, we justify it. We justify the decision we made, the thing that we did, blah, 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 blah. And yet you're just like, you're just, you're in pieces about all of it. You know, like you're just like it, there's a lot of guilt around all of it. Um, I don't, a guy I would like to talk about a lot on here and reference a lot, Dan Milliman. I remember, I don't remember what book it was from, but he, uh, he said like the crime is the punishment. Mm. It's like you commit the crime and the pun, like it is the punishment because you've, com- you've committed the crime. Like you now have to carry the weight of that crime, mm. whether it's like, you know, you told, uh, you told a lie or you stole something or you cheated on somebody. Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, that you did that. You know, and I've met, I've met guys who have like, and, and spoke and talked to men who have been like unfaithful, like been there, like in the presence of like, while they were like about to like commit the act of being unfaithful. And they basically just been like, Oh, you know, it's all fine. You know? So it's like, as long as you're taking care of like the wife and kids at home, it's, it's fine. Fuck, you know, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, like, <laughs> listen, I'm not gonna, you can do what you want. Like yeah. maybe, maybe you and your wife have an arrangement that I don't know about. I'm not here to judge and I'm not here to tell you what to do, but it sounds to me like, and it looks to me like, you know, this is kind of bullshit. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, it's bullshit because if it wasn't, they wouldn't have to justify it. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing, you know, you, it's a saying, I think I shared with you, but I don't know if I shared with it on the podcast. You tell a lie, it becomes your future. If you tell the truth, it becomes your past. Mm. Right. So, or, or maybe it's the other way around. If you tell the truth, it becomes your past. If you tell a lie, it becomes your future. But that's the mm. thing is that's what a lie is. That's a lie becomes something you have to carry into the future. Um, you, you steal, you carry that into the future. You, you cheat, you, you betray your morals or ethics. You carry that into your future because now you have to hide from the fact that that exists. You know, you have, <clears throat> every time you create a lie, you create two stories that exist as opposed to one. Now you have to remember two stories. Um, there's this comedian, uh, I think I shared it on, on one of our previous podcasts, but she was talking about how she was driving to work and she was having a really upset day. And this guy drove up next to her and said something and she wanted him to feel bad. So she said, you know, my mother just died. And then they pulled up and, and they pulled up to the next light and they landed next to each other. And she was whatever. I mean, I'm totally not telling the story properly, but, <laughs> but she's, she's at the next light and she, and he said something and, and she didn't really get to him with the mother thing. He said something snide back. And so she was kind of bopping to her music and the guy leaned in and he said, I'm sorry about your mother. And she was like, Oh yeah, my mother died <laughs> Which in her, in her own head. Right. 
because she <laughs> she had already forgotten the lies she just told. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the thing is, is what is kind of funny about this comedian was super like she's super intelligent and, and aware. But I think what's really funny about that is that it's kind of like that's how life is. Like if we start telling these lies, we start creating these other things that become more work, you know, and, and, um, it's much easier and ultimately healthier, I think, to be the third person where you, you just own the fact that you did the thing and you, you forgive yourself and you work through that as opposed to trying to pretend that you're perfect or justify the fact that your lie was valid, Mm. you know, and, um, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, is, you, you begin to start to heal yourself because there's this other thing too, is like, you know, we take things personally in this culture, which I know I have, but personally is because you have something you're hiding and the world just poked at this thing you're hiding and you don't like that. So now that thing that you're hiding has been shown light on. And now you're like, well, fuck, I don't feel good. If you have already shined light on yourself as much as you can, and when someone pokes something, instead of like hiding it away and making them wrong for exposing it, you went, oh shit, that's exposed in me. You could just work on healing that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing too, is what anyone ever says or does anyway, has nothing to do with you. But the only thing is that it does have to do with you is your own relationship with yourself. Like if you don't like yourself, people can really pick you apart, you know, cause you haven't healed your own self or mm-hmm. you don't, you know, or you don't know yourself and you're, you're accepting what they say as knowing you, which no one knows you, you know, um, it's, uh, what was this other saying is like, uh, something along the lines of like, don't let anyone ever tell you who you are because most people don't even know themselves, mm-hmm. which I think is really true. I mean, nobody can tell you who you are. Yeah. You'll never get the answer outside of yourself. It will always come from within. I think you can get feedback. I think you can get like, this is how you're impacting me. This is what you're doing. This is your effects. But if anyone ever tells you who you are, you know, and so I think like what we're, what we're doing as we get older in a lot of ways is we're recovering from ideas of who the world is told we are. I mean, I was called a punk as a kid, you know, a punk means different things to different people, but someone called me that as an expression of what they see as a punk. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, um, and the reason why they called me a punk was because I dropped off a flyer and I crossed their line, their lawn. I didn't, I didn't go down, down the other one and across <laughs> the sidewalk and back up there as I was a kid and I crossed their lawn. So they yeah. called me a punk. You're a punk, you know, called my dad, told my dad I was a punk. Right. <laughs> so I laughed it off. <laughs> But in certain ways, I mean, that person is just projecting themselves. It's projecting like, this is what you're allowed to do. What you're not allowed to do. And if you're, if you do what you're not allowed to do, I'm allowed to insult you or whatever, as opposed to saying, Oh, you know, there's a kid that doesn't really understand the fact that if you cross a lawn, if everybody crossed the lawn, it might wear down the lawn and the lawn won't grow anymore. Yeah. And, and probably why are they doing it? Probably because it's an easier road to take as a kid. I didn't recognize that. So I look back and I can go, either I'm a punk or at the time I didn't see the effects that it might create. And so I did the easier path because 
you know, in fact, actually I was intelligent because based on my moral compass and based on my ethical compass of how to do the world, that made sense. But people are doing this all the time. We're crossing other people's lines. We don't realize we're doing it. And that person can like, be like, you're, you're an asshole for crossing the line where that person could be like, Oh, Hey, by the way, don't cross the line. Cause like there's, there's effects, there's negative effects Go around. I know it's harder. I can see why you did it but it doesn't make me a punk because I did something that you didn't like. You know what I mean? But we live in a world where when, when we cross what someone else doesn't like, all of a sudden they can go, Oh no, you're something, you're something bad. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, yeah. And it's like, that's like, I like to talk about this one, like that concept of Hanlon's razor, you know, don't attribute to malice what can more easily be, you know, credited to, uh, ignorance and neglect. Right. You know, it's like, you know, this guy, like he sees across the line. It's like, you're a punk. Like, it's just like, it's an attack, you know? It's like, because he's perceiving an attack. It's like, well, no, it was just a matter of just like, you didn't realize that like, this was, this was a big deal. You know, like you didn't see it. Like you had no like nasty intent for crossing the lawn. Like it wasn't, but that's how somebody ended up taking it. Right. It's like a kid who jumps on the couch. You know, I remember when I built my bed, I built you know, I built my, some of my furniture from Ikea, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I remember building it. And I remember talking to my stepdad about it. I'm like, Oh shit. I totally get why parents don't want you to jump on a bed. Cause after we put it all together, I was like, I can see how this could break. You know, I could just understand it after I put it together. Yeah. Cause a little kid, I never saw how a bed was built. It was just a fun jumping cushion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I don't think that like, I don't think that it necessarily means that we can just walk around and, and choose ignorance because we're like, Oh, I just don't want to know. But there's a certain part of us where we have to like have, well, I think it's just better for us as humans to, to understand ourselves and others with a certain amount of like, Oh, you weren't aware. Now you are aware. Yeah. Now that you're aware, do better. That's okay. But like, don't do that again now that you're aware. But like as a kid, my parents would just say, don't jump on the couch. Don't jump on the bed. You know what I mean? But they didn't tell me why. So to me, I was just like, oh, they just don't, I don't know. You make up in your own mind as a kid. I don't know if you did this, but I made up in my own mind, like, oh, they just don't like that. Cause it's, cause it's too loud or it's uncomfortable for yeah. them. I didn't realize that it could actually damage the shit they bought. Yeah. They never told me that. I just thought, you know, and so there's a certain part of me that was just being defiant to my parents. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, Oh, you might actually break this shit that we have. You know what I mean? And I think like we kind of, as adults, we, we are very much like that kid. We're doing things. We don't realize the effects of until we actually experience the effects. And we go, Oh, I didn't realize like I could actually damage something. I just thought you didn't like it. Cause so much of our world, people tell us not to do stuff cause they don't like it. Like, it's like, who gives a shit if you don't like it? Like you, like for example, if someone does something, it's like loud and you're, and that makes you uncomfortable. That's more your problem than it is theirs. You know what I mean? But if they're causing damage and there's a negative effect to your uncomfortability, like they are legitimately like someone's loud, say in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep, because you can hear them through your walls or whatever, you might, instead of saying, I don't like it, say, look, I'm trying to sleep. Your noise makes this difficult. You know what I mean? Yeah. If there's more of a reason behind it, as opposed to just, I don't like it, we would, 
we would actually be living in a, a world more based on like a reality as opposed to these opinions, yeah. you know? So what are we talking about here? I knew you were going to get to the point. <laughs> what are we talking about? Like, well, I just want to, I just want to, cause I know that there's some, there's <laughs> it's some, not so serious, Evan. <laughs> I know there's some sort of a thread here, but like in terms of just like, as us, like the start, the start is a conversation about our ideas of the things that we, that we want, you know, like this is where, how this sort of, we got down this path was these ideas about, you know, being famous or, you know, what kind of life you're supposed to have, what things are supposed to look like. Um, and to a degree, having a certain level of, from where we've been going, having a certain level of responsibility, making a certain kind of peace with things, having a, like being realistic while also not necessarily dropping out on your dreams. But I think like there's like, it's, this all kind of started as this idea of programming, right? Like this, this sort of, um, I think we're talking about the balance between having an opinion and, and an idea in dealing with reality. Because I think dreams and, and all this other stuff, they're based on ignorance. Yeah. You know, and that's the biggest thing that I'm, I've been realizing at this point in my life is like a lot of the things that I said I wanted to do were based on an idea that wasn't really strongly based in reality. Yeah. And now I'm inter- interacting with reality more and I start to go, well, it's not that the thing I want isn't possible. It's just that I didn't see the reality of what the situation meant. I mean, it's like wanting to drive a sports car and you really want to do that, but then realizing it has environmental effects. And one of your biggest values is, well, it hurts the environment. And so you might start to think maybe I, maybe I don't want to hurt the environment as much as I thought I wanted the sports car. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but the, the thing is, is I think that I've been really I think a lot of this is to do with like having a dream, but having your dream be in reality and finding the balance of it. Because, you know, maybe you want to be the best actor who ever lived. Maybe you want that. But when you were a little kid, it was just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to do that. When, when you get older, you start to realize, okay, there's a certain amount of work. There's sacrifice stuff to make. It means I don't get to go out with friends and have drinks. It means I maybe don't even date anybody. It means that maybe I stay single my whole life. Maybe that's the sacrifice it takes. You know what I mean? You start to have to give up stuff. You realize there's a reality to it because other people are working hard. You have to work even harder. You have to be even more committed. Yeah. And so are you willing to do what it would actually take in reality? And so then the dream gets put in perspective a little bit. More. Yeah. But then also what at the same time makes you think that you have to give up on all of these other things in order to achieve that. Well, that's I mean, another idea too. That's just another conception of, because, you know, I've met those people who have been like, you know, they're so all about their craft and they don't live their lives, you know, and it's like, they don't have lives, which is, I think that's ridiculous. You know, like, uh, my mentor, Larry Silverberg, you know, he used to say, just like he said to somebody during the class, he's like, acting doesn't fuel your acting life fuels your acting. Like, it's just like, you can't like, it's not a self perpetuating thing. Acting is a thing about life. All art is something that is about life an expression of life. You need to live life in order to do it. Yes. You need to work on your craft. Absolutely. And you know, there are 
certain things that might end up having to be sidelined to a degree, but it doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice having an, having a life in order to achieve this. Because then at that point you say, well, why do you even want this anyhow? Why do you like what? Like that, that becomes the next part of the question. Yeah. Cause I mean, there, there, there is though, I mean, regardless of where the sacrifice comes in to have a dream and make a dream real, there's sacrifice, which is not the thing that's sold when you buy it as a little kid. No one says, no one, no one says, I've, n- I've never once heard it in my entire life where someone said, you have a dream. What are you willing to sacrifice? You know, what are you willing to give up to make this possible? You know, I remember when I was younger, I used to, I used to kind of try to test a little bit about what I would give up, but I had no idea what it would actually take to, you know, and the thing is, is that when you truly love something, the sacrifices aren't sacrifices. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter anymore. At that point, it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice, but if you don't love it enough, the sacrifices do feel like sacrifices. So you kind of have to ask yourself, maybe I don't love the thing as much as I think I love it. You know what I mean? And the other thing too, is like, you know, a a couple of my favorite actors are Marlon Brando and, and River Phoenix and both Marlon Brando and River Phoenix, um, which are arguably some of the best actors around or were around. Um, they didn't even love acting, which is a really interesting thing to like, take your point because it's like, well, they didn't, like acting was not for them the same as it is. Like, it wasn't like I have this dream. I want to be this really big actor. It was kind of like they did it and then they kind of became a part of it. And then like, I don't know if like, I've read a lot. I've only recently been studying river Phoenix more, but like river Phoenix's first love was music. Mm hmm. And Marlon Brando, you know, arguably the best actor of ever, um, in the, in the, you know, the trendsetter for how acting is today. Um, you know, he, he didn't look very highly upon the acting profession, Mm -hmm. but I look at those two and I look at all the life they lived. And I think that there's this confusion to want to be a really great actor or to be really want to be great at anything. I think what it, what ends up happening is it's like, if you really want to be like great at something, there's a certain amount of sacrifice that comes into it, but there's a certain amount of like indirect, um, kind of opportunity, you know, I mean, River Phoenix and Marlon Brando, if you look at where they came from, if you look at James Dean, like Mm -hmm. those three, there's, there's three, if you look at where they came from and, and Marilyn Monroe, let's just throw her in there too. If you look at where they came from, they were perfectly primed for the profession at the time they were in. It was, it was an alignment of sorts. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because they were special. It wasn't because they had, you know, yeah, they did have a, a certain probably internal fire, but probably not unlike many people have an internal fire. But if you look at the way the world was, the social economical climate, everything else, it's part of what aligned for them to actually have the impact that they had. Yeah. Now we can look at that and go, well, I'm not Marlon Brando. I'm not River Phoenix. I'm not Marilyn Monroe, you know, and everybody can kind of do that as an actor, but 
in some ways, even if you were, you'd never have a chance. If you were Marilyn Monroe reincarnated today, you'd probably barely even have a career because Marilyn Monroe, according to today, is fat. Meanwhile, at the time, she's the most beautiful woman of the time. Yeah. Marlon Brando at the time was physically fit and a really attractive guy. Yeah. Kind of dark and mysterious at a time when like, yeah. you know, a lot of our like cinema's protagonists were kind of like these knights in shining armor. He was kind of one of the first anti-heroes. Yeah. He was gritty. Yeah. And so like, you know, so we can't remodel the past and bring it into the future either, you know? And so the whole thing too is like, I mean, I think if you, if you look at River Phoenix and you look at Marlon Brando, especially, cause I've been sending them more. If you look at their life, they happenstanced across their fame in certain ways. Um, they did have something that someone saw that was special, but had in, in some ways, the person who saw something was special, who no one will really ever know who that was because no one ever remembers that. Yeah. Um, that was actually more important than the person themselves. So like when it comes to certain things, you know, I think we have these like ideas of dreams where they're, we base them much on ourselves, and they don't have a lot to do with who we are. I mean, look at Harrison Ford. Who is he without George Lucas? right? Who is he? Mm. Who is he without Han Solo? You know what I'm saying? And even Edward Norton, who I think is arguably one of the best actors of today, he was found in an acting class. Someone was seeing his work in an acting class and said, you need to see this kid. And someone cared enough to pay attention to take a look at him because had they not, Edward Norton, we wouldn't even know who he was. And so, yes, people are bringing something special to the table. But the factor we don't always recognize in dreams is that there's other parties involved in the whole process of, of it. And I think like where we can shoot ourselves in the foot. And I think is that, you know, you can be really great at something, but you might, you might be the best, but you may never have a career never make an impact. But that doesn't take away from the fact that you did what you felt was right. And you really put an effort into yeah. your career. Meanwhile, someone else who's relatively average could get the light shined upon them by happenstance of the chaos of the world. Yeah. They're just that right thing at that right time in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so they didn't even know how they did it. They stumbled into it. You know, when you look at a lot of the movie stars, just start reading autobiographies and biographies, you'll start to see there's a very common trend that most of them kind of stumbled into it. Now I'm not saying they weren't working hard. I'm not saying that they didn't put that extra effort. Yeah, they did. But there's a certain part of them where it's like, if this person didn't come along, if this opportunity did not come along, who knows what might've happened? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I, I read a years ago, an interview with, uh, Ed Norton, And he had said, it's like, I have so many acting friends, you know, who I went to school with, who, you know, I did plays with and they're fucking brilliant. Like they are unbelievable actors. They're every bit as good as I am, but most of them will never be household names. Yeah. You know? And it's like, that's just kind of the way of it. Like there's just, it's not everybody gets to do that necessarily. Right. 
It's a lottery ticket. Yeah. It's a little degree of a lottery, lottery ticket. ticket. And you know what? I like, I was thinking about Sylvester Stallone, you know, say what you will about him. That guy's, that guy made his career. I mean, the fact that he took Rocky and he pushed as hard as he did to get that thing made, you know, had that had he never done that, it's hard to believe that he would even have a career and that anyone would even know his name. And so yeah. lots of these, like, you know, you know, you look like, uh, a lot of these independent filmmakers and stuff. You look like someone like, um, uh, Kevin Smith, you know, that guy would have never, Kevin Smith would have never been a publicly known figure had he not made clerks. It wasn't even that you know? he made clerks. This is what people actually, I want to correct you on this. It wasn't that he made clerks. He made clerks and it did shit when he made it and released it. And he was like, well, this was a total fucking bomb project. But you know what? There was a big producer who showed up, someone I think recommended and showed up to his one little screening. Yeah. And he was like, he describes him as this old guy in the audience. That guy made his career. That's what a lot of people don't realize because everybody goes, oh, I'm just going to do what he did. You got to understand that there is a certain happenstance of good fortune. Now I'm not, now maybe there's a way you can help that good fortune come into your life. But the thing is, is there's many people who have probably made a film like Kevin Smith that we will never hear of. And, and we don't even care about. And the reason why we don't care about is because we weren't told to care about it. It's not because it's not a good film. And, and, and the thing is, is that this is what happens. This is kind of a little bit of how the world works. You know, you got to understand that there are, um, people who are in a position who can give you a leg up. And in many ways, when we, when we play this lottery game, we do put our hands in this open world where we don't even know who's going to pick our lottery ticket. And it's, and it's, you know what I mean? And the thing is, the reason why I bring this all up is because for me to base my importance or for anybody to base their importance on if they're famous or not famous or whatever, it's not a real relevant statistic in the scheme of it all. Like Edward Norton said, I have many acting friends who are brilliant who will never be known. The fact that Edward got chosen and they didn't has no, no lesser impact on who they are as a person yeah. and, and what they've done and the work and that they've done. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that when you get that chance and if you get that chance, you just got to look at it as like, well, this is a, this is a surprising luxury yeah. as opposed to an entitlement that I'm like, I have to fight for and try to get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's important that you pursue your dreams and you, and you do things like as an artist that are rewarding for doing them unto themselves. Right. And I, and I think that's the rest is just trusting the process because I think that there's a degree to which, you know, like if, you know, they say that it's like, if you, if you do good work, you know, like you'll find a way and you love something, you'll find a way to make money at it. You know, you'll find a way to like make a career out of it, no matter how sort of big or small that is. And I, and I believe that that's true. And, uh, I know like an, another guy who I love musician, Neil Young, uh, I saw an interview with him where he had just like this, he just said, you know, I've always known that some of my albums were going to do great. Some of them weren't right. Like I've always, like, he's always had that attitude with like making music. So he just kind of like put that 
like made sort of peace with that. He's like, yeah, I'm going to put one out and it'll do great. And I'm going to put another one out and it might just totally bomb. You know, it's like, but that's never sort of the point for him is for it to like, Oh, they've all got to be like huge, massive successes. And you watch throughout like his releases throughout his career. Yeah. Some of them did great. And then others were like, just totally brutally ripped apart. You know, like they did poorly, like in sales, they got ripped apart by critics and fans alike. And then he had ones that were just like, huge successes and critically and commercially, you know, very well reviewed and stuff like that. Like that's just kind of the way the world turns. And I think it is in some ways it's about making peace with, yeah, these, these sort of realities, right. That doesn't necessarily mean compromising on your dreams necessarily, but it's just, it's, I think that our, we begin to discover that our dreams are far more complex and beautiful than we initially thought they were mm-hmm. for ways that we didn't perceive. It's like being in a, in a relationship, you know, like I'm coming on to five years in a relationship and there's whole, there's things about being in that sort of thing that, and, and being in a loving relationship that, you know, I had ideas and concepts of, of what that was like before I'd experienced it. And there are so many things that I didn't foresee and it's messier than, than, (laughs) you know, you can imagine it being like, it's way messier than you think it is. Um, but it's, it's still far more like incredible and amazing and enriching because of it. Hmm. Uh, it's funny as it's like earlier in this conversation, part of this whole, this whole conversation reminded me of this. Um, I don't know if you ever used to play this, but like as a kid, we used to have like, it was kind of like a fortune telling type of game. And you just take out a piece of paper and you draw like, um, kind of like a, a grid, like almost like a pie chart or whatever. It's like kind of like a pizza grid and you would put, um, yeah, you put four lines through it. So you draw a cross and then you draw another cross through that. And so each thing, there was like a category. So there was like the house, the car, the, the wife, or for, for the girls, it was like the husband or whatever. There was, uh, how much money you, you make like in a year or something. There was, um, there was also some more morbid stuff like, uh, how, like how long will you live? Like when will you die? Basically, how will you die? Um, how many kids will you have? That sort of thing. And so, uh, you would get to pick two. Like you could, you Mm -hmm. could, you could fill in two for each category, but then the person who is doing it got to pick, or sometimes there's multiple people, you know, you'd have a whole crowd and then they would pick the other two. And so you used to play this as like a kid. So, and especially boys, like they would do like the most horrible, like fucking things that you can imagine. (laughs) Right. Like, so you're, you're picking stuff. It's like, yeah, I'm going to live in a mansion or I'm going to live, you know, in, um, you know, some like, like beautiful cabin or something. And so you'd pick that and it's like, and I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to make like $5 million a year. I'm going to make $20 million a year. Right. And you put those two in there and then like you just have in the car, yeah, Ferrari, whatever your occupation, you know, that was another one. Like, what do you do? But then for each one of those, your friends would just do something. It's like, you're going to make 
20 bucks a year. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, like, your, like, your wife is going to be, like, someone like this. You've, like, we we would, I would write something like, you know, Claudia Schiffer or Cindy Crawford, you know, like, is going (laughs) to be my wife, you know. I'm, like, a kid and she's, like, you know, 20 years older than me. Still hot. At the time, yeah. (laughs) But still, you know, this is, these are the kinds of things you put down. And then it would be so crazy because then you would it would just you would once everything had been filled in with four different things in each category uh the person would how did it go like you would just start like taking a pen and you just start doing dots all all over it right and then you would say stop and they would stop and whatever it landed on you would circle that thing right and so it was like and so you would circle all this and this was going to be what your future looked like. And it was just crazy. Cause it would be this mix of like shitty stuff with amazing stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, I'm going to make 20 bucks a year, but I'm going to be married to Claudia Schiffer and I'm going to drive a Ferrari. I'm going to live in like a cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> you what know? reality was this? And it was just like, but it's kind of like, there's something almost like profound about it in a way, because it's like, you don't get to just determine all of this shit in a weird way. Mm. Right? Like you don't. And a lot of these are just like ideas of what you had. Like also like in terms of this conversation, it's like, Oh yeah, the good life, you know, this is what the good life looks like. And it was always just like a bunch of like stuff, right? It's like, yeah, a Ferrari and a mansion and a hot you know, and a hot wife and I've got millions of dollars and I'm going to die way late in my life, you know, uh, asleep <laughs> in my bed and you know, like all of these things. It's like, it's not like there's no real reality to that. Well, that's, and that's what I was saying. That's how we make up our dreams when we're kids. Yeah. We make up our dreams based on this nonsense. I mean, it is nonsense because, you know, What's an eight year old kid going to do with Claudia Schiffer? (laughs) An eight year old kid's not including cancer in his fucking life Yeah, or her life. They're not including that. They're not including the fact that my, one of my best friends died when I was 21 years old, fucking car crash, T-boned. He was about to go, he just finished and graduated and he just got accepted into film school, which was his dream. He just graduated university and boom, done. And it's like, you don't put that in your dream. That never even, that never factor it in, in my life. You know what I mean? Um, in my little perfect world, you know, uh, you know, I was, I mean, for me, I mean, you know, say what you will, but like m- my parents and my little dream were super supportive of everything I wanted to do. You know, I look at my dad and his, uh, you know, he fought me a lot on the film thing. I, I, I look at that and I go, well, it makes sense why you fought me on it because from your perspective, having experienced a certain amount of reality, maybe it was based in your generation. Maybe it was a little skewed granted, but you were trying to give me back a little bit of reality feedback. Maybe you're a little, maybe you had a little bias, maybe you had a little whatever, but like there's this idea of how our life's supposed to go. And then there's how it really goes. And I think that the thing that I'm making peace with in my life personally right now is that it maybe doesn't go exactly as planned. Yeah. But maybe that's just fucking great. You know, maybe that's good. And I was thinking about it. I don't know, man. 
I studied a lot of philosophy in my life. Yeah. I've studied Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity. I've studied everything. You name it. I've yeah. studied Sikhism, whatever. I've studied it. Yeah. And I started to understand everybody's beliefs. And the more, and, and you know what? And I'm not saying that I believe this and anyone else should believe this. But the more that I've gone through my life, the more I feel like there is something like some type of afterlife or some type of rebirth or something, because I I don't know, like, I don't even know how to explain that to anybody, but it's like, after I've experienced what I've experienced, I start to go like, I don't know, man. It just seems like there's something more than we just fucking die and it's over. And there's this part of me that goes, it could totally be that. And I'd totally be okay if that's what it is. Like if if someone could prove to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was the case, I I would let go of all my spirituality and I would totally go, okay, well, that's how it is. Fine. But like the more that I'm seeing and as I experience life, I'm like, nah, there, there just seems to be more. There's too much serendipity. There's too much there's too much amazing wonder. And even in the shittiest moment of my life, did I not look and go, there's a weird fucking wonder to this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. And so like this spirituality thing, which like, I don't, I'm not religious and I don't, uh, you know, I don't claim to be religion, religious and I, and I don't choose any religion, at least at this point in my life. But I do believe in some type of spiritual thing that's happening beyond what we can recognize right now. Yeah. And I think that to just call it all chaos and to call it all like you just die. I think that there's a spectrum of like, based on the way we experience the world. Yes, that makes perfect sense. But I think that there's too much immeasurable, unmeasured stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think where people go wrong. And I mean, I know this sounds off topic, but I think where people go wrong is when they take religion and they take ideas from religion and they try and force that whatever religion doesn't really matter. I think we all need to look at it as go. Everybody has certain beliefs. Just let everyone believe what they want to believe. Mm. It's all good. Doesn't really matter. Let's just make some common, common agreeances. Okay. Let's not hurt anybody. Let's not break anybody's shit. Now let's not hurt ourselves. Like, let's just do that. Right. If we just did that, let anyone believe and think however they want to think. But like the, the reason why I bring this up is because I think when we're kids, we we're we're tapped into anything as possible because there's no reality, like kind of cleaving your dream. But then as we get older, reality comes in, we start to cleave our dreams but I think what we need to do is we need to function in reality as we physically are in these physically bo- yeah. physical bodies. But at the same time, I think we need to maintain a little bit of that childlike wonder and not kill that off entirely. Yeah. And it's finding that balance, you know, it's finding that balance between wonder and, and anything's possible and like dealing with the reality that we're in because well, there's a beauty in that, that bridge. Well, right? there's like all, because our life, life is so full of unexpected twists and turns. Like this is kind of like an adage that we should all be familiar with. It's like, yeah, life is full of all sorts of unexpected things. And you know, it's not about becoming cynical about it and being cynical about our dreams and being like, that's not, you know, what I, and I know that's not what you were saying, No, you know, but you know, I don't want people to think that that's what we're saying. It's like, Oh no, be realistic about your dreams. And like, you know, you hear a statement like that. It's like, you know, we can easily interpret that as being like, well, no, give up on your dreams, you know, make serious compromises. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like, have your dreams. Cause you you know, our dreams I think are kind of a part of 
our divinity, so to speak, you know, which take that as you will, like, what do you mean by divinity? Like our dreams are part of, they're part of our beauty, you know, as you know, they're, they're full of our, our highest hopes. They're full of, um, you know, they're just full of, uh, (laughs) not full of shit, but I don't, there are our ideals, you know, like, and there's terrific things, but yes, sometimes like they can be a bit naive and sometimes like our beliefs and things, they can become very rigid. And when our dreams become rigid, then it becomes a problem. Hmm. I think because it doesn't leave room for all of the amazing unexpected things in life to happen. Hmm. You know, like when these things that seemingly to like throw a wrench into our plans, like, well, how is this maybe actually part of the dream? Yeah. How is this actually part of your dream somehow? Right. And maybe that thing is like, Oh, and maybe now your dream isn't you're reinterpreting your dream in a new way. That's completely more meaningful of more substance to you than it had been before because Mm -hmm. it had started out as just a concept, an idea, a fantasy, you know, an image. And a lot of times that's, that dream is, you know, I think there's a purity to our dreams. I think our egos can take a hold of them and make our dreams about a certain thing. It's like, well, no, your ego made your dream about attaining a certain thing. But now the actual sort of the, the true beauty of your dream is something like a little bit messier. Mm -hmm. It's something a little bit messier, but something a little bit more beautiful. And it, in order for you to fulfill it, it's going to require you to let go of a part of it. That's actually kind of bullshit. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing. It's like, have your dreams, keep your dreams, but be open. Uh, You've got to remain open to the unexpected things of life and being able to interpret, like, interpret them as part of your dream, interpret them as, as being the thing that's guiding you closer towards achieving it. And maybe it doesn't look exactly how you initially thought it looked like, but that's okay because it was a naive idea before. Yeah. Right. But you did your best at the time. Yeah. And you've got to start from that place, you know, and like you, you start from that place and you work towards it and then you would, you adjust, you adjust it, you adjust it as you're making your way towards it. And and like, I know for myself, it's like where I started out with like my, my dreams, they were very naive, very superficial. And I don't know if, if I had achieved any of those things, like in a very quick succession, like, you know, I'm sure it would have come with its, you know, like lots of wonderful things, but it wouldn't have been, it still wouldn't have been what I thought it was. It was, it would still be full of unexpected things I never saw that would challenge me, mm-hmm. right. That would make me have to reinterpret what that dream was like. Right. Um, but in the way that my life has actually gone, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it was full of a lot of struggles and things that I didn't foresee happening, Mm. you know, that I was maybe didn't want to pretend were possibilities of even happening, you know, but things that I definitely couldn't have even expected. And those things are so incredible because it's sent me down on a path that's led me to ideas, led me to philosophies, led me to different ways of approaching creativity and approaching my craft that there's no way that I could have found that and found that had 
things not gone the way they had, Hmm. had I not faced these things. And now my dream looks a little bit different. Like it still has a lot of like similar things. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like the way that I would like to like the, the direction I want to take my life, the dreams that I want to, you know, move myself towards in terms of how my life looks like and how I experience life include a lot of the same things. You know, I'm just like, yeah, you know, it would be, it would be great. Like to, to be able to do this on a day-to-day basis and to be able to do this on a day-to-day basis and be able to meet these kinds of people and talk to these kinds of people. Great. Fantastic. And you know what? Yeah, that's still making movies, but maybe it's not making movies in the way that I thought it was, but that's fine because I don't want to make these kinds of movies that like I was fantasizing about making when I was a kid. I want to make these movies now. Yeah. These are the ones that really get me excited. Not this shit. And it's like, and there's still room for, it's like, yeah, and you know what? Maybe those movies that I want to make end up becoming something. And it's like, oh, and you know what? Maybe you'll get a little taste of that fame out of that. But now that's something more in line with who you, who I authentically am. Right. And maybe the fame won't come. I don't know. Right. But it's like, I'm not depending it on that. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm depending it. I'm, I'm basing my dreams on, on the experience of life that I want to have. And, you know, I, I have to credit you to a large degree with that, with like, you know, those Frank Kern, like those core, core identity, core questions, you know, really creating a, an image of your dreams from a completely different place, you know, not, uh, not from a place of stuff and status, you know, it's like, it's not about that. It's like, how do you want to like spend every fucking day of your life? What's the experience of it? Not the stuff, the experience. Yeah. I just thought it was just like, it's just such a brilliant thing when you can, when you can start basing your goals and your pursuits on that instead of how we traditionally pursue our goals. Right. Well, yeah. I mean that, that exercise by Frank Kern, you know, that core identity exercise is, is awesome. I mean, because it really is all experience really is all how do you want to experience it? And I think that's the hard, that's the hard part sometimes is like, we were a little bit indoctrinated into this idea of like, I want to have, like you said, the pie chart, I want to have the mansion and Claudia Schiffer or whatever as my, you know, as my life. And those are, it doesn't even matter what those things are. It was, what did you think you would experience by having those things? Yeah. And if you, if you tapped into that, the dream is still real. But the thing is, is like, the material stuff, like, I think that's the hard part about, um, reacquainting yourself with your dream is that I think initially, and I don't know if this is for everybody, but initially for myself, my dreams were based on, I need to achieve a certain thing, succeed a certain way. It needs to look a certain way in the material world. And then if I do that, then I have won at life kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like there's like, there's just like this point where it's like, yes, you won. Yeah. You won. Now enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I think that there's a, like only one person who's done that. And that's Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> and then that to was, me, he's the closest to him. Like this, I think this guy's kind of won. And then, but and then it just, I don't know his and life. Then it just normalizes. Even if yeah. he did momentarily, I mean, everything's like that. It's all momentary. It's all momentary. And I mean, um, you know, I think that that's the thing is like, it's, 
have the dreams, have the pie in the sky ideas, but the pie in the sky ideas, you don't, it's not so much that you need to get the pie in the sky. What you need to do is find a way where you can experience what you believe only the pie in the sky can get you. Like when I think about the relationship thing, I think about some of my best romantic relationships that I've ever had. And they didn't look like the pie in the sky. But I look back and I go, that was the experience of what mattered, you know, and I think a a really big thing that I've been pushing on in my own life is like, am I doing this because it's what I'm supposed to want because it's what would make someone else happy? Or Mm. am I doing this because it's what would actually make me happy? And I really started to, I've been really battling with that a lot, but I've been thinking about it and going like, maybe if I did what I really wanted, it would make a lot of other people unhappy. And so maybe what I'm more scared of is making other people unhappy than I am about valuing what would actually make me happy. Mm -hmm. And it's not even that I need this thing to make me happy, but that if I did it their way, all I know is I would be unhappy but they would be happy. And it's like, am I going to live my whole life trying to keep other people happy? And, you know, I mean, once you kind of get down to the crux of it, I mean, the answer is pretty obvious, Yeah. but it's hard when you're in it. It's really easy when you're like, that's why I like these podcasts. Cause we get to take a moment, reflect on our life, be like, okay, like, here we go. Yeah. You know, and I get to talk to another person and hear my thoughts bounced off someone other than my own mind. And it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously, Yeah. Sometimes these things, like when we have these major epiphanies, it's just like, it's the most, it's so obvious, you know, you're just like, like you feel stupid almost that like you couldn't see it, but they are, they're so obvious, you know, it's like, it's, and it's really, yeah, it's about like the, the bullshit that we tell ourselves, you know, like the shit we convince ourselves of, you know, but you know, eventually you hit a point where you can't fool yourself anymore. Right. The gig is up, man. Yeah, the jig is freaking up. The jig is up. The jig, not the gig. Not the gig. (laughs) That's more for modern day term. The gig is up. Yeah, the jig. It's like basically, oh no, my data. (laughs) (laughs) I think my data limit. I still got two weeks to go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, what a generation we're in. Um, Why don't you talk about this beer for a quick second? Holy shit, yeah, the beer. Um, So this is called, this is the Yellow Dog Brew which we've had two times before. Um, and, yeah, this one's, and another one recently we had that, um, we had that coconut Porter, which was, from them, which is, I didn't say this on the podcast before. It was like, it was later on that. I think I said this, and I just want to give this one like another shout out. This coconut Porter from yellow dog is one of the best porters I've ever had. Like it's, it is something else. And this is, we are not paid sponsors. We, <laughs> we paid for this beer <laughs> and we bought it on our own dime. Yeah. I, I agree actually that, that the Porter that we had from yellow dog, which, what the hell was it called again? I don't remember, but it was two podcasts ago and it was, it was maybe my favorite Porter. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what do you call Guinness a Porter? I guess so. Yeah. Or is that, no, that's more of a stout, I think. Stout. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I would say this yellow dog, this coconut, uh, Porter they had, it was fucking epic. Yeah. It was really good. And anyway, they, they impressed me so much. I was like, you know what? We need another yellow dog beer. 
So this one's the red nose, um, and it's a limited release and it's, uh, basically a red ale, um, 5.5%. What do you think of it? It's, it's really nice. Like I've, I've, I always enjoy sort of like red, red ales. They've kind of got like a nice, easy drinking, refreshing thing, but they give you a little bit of something to, for your taste buds to, to grab a hold of. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, like it's got a little bit of hop in there. It's got a little hop. That's what but, I noticed about it too. But it's it, very it tasty. Fades, it fades away pretty quick. I think for people who are not like too into the hop, it's not going to be a beer that they're going to want to first run to. But if you really like a hoppier beer, I think for a red ale, then if you like kind of IPAs and you like red ales, this is your beer. This is probably your money. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, it does, it's definitely like, I like it. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I really like it. I think it's, it's, it's probably not for everybody. But again, like since we started the podcast, I've been liking hoppier IPA yeah. stuff a lot more than I did when we initially started. So yeah, I really like, enjoy it. If, and I think it's a good red ale. It's, it's a little different than any other red yeah, ale I've had. Like if you're a person who's like, really you only, you only drink like lagers and like, that's the only thing you can sort of like stomach. Like this is maybe not going to be something that you're going to enjoy, but it's, I can see this as being like a nice, almost like a go between. Like if you want to start branching off into some of those things, uh, like yeah, getting into like ESBs or, or IPAs or something like this would be something that would start introducing, I think some flavors to you that yeah. could like help you bridge that sort of gap totally on your beer, beer journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh it's, it's definitely got its own distinct taste. So. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I've been really liking the yellow dog options. They've been good and they got a lot more for us to get through. Yeah. So it's been good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you want to wrap this baby up or do you want to keep going? I mean, in some ways I feel like in some ways this feels kind of complete Yeah. in a way. Is there anything else that was left kind of hanging? Not for me, because this has been like, I, for me, this is like kind of helped like shift some things for me like this, like really getting into this, this conversation about dreams. Mm. You know, it's, it seems weird that I don't think we've really done like a podcast about like, yeah, our dreams and, and how we, bring those like into the world and reality and, and what that all entails and looks like. This has been a fascinating conversation for me. And it's really, uh, it's really kind of helped me in, in some ways. Like it's weird. Sometimes like we have these conversations and and the things that sometimes you're saying or the things that I'm saying, I'm just like, I feel like I know this somehow, but like, like I've always kind of known this, but this is the first time I, I know that I've ever said this Mm. before. And, uh, yeah, for me, it's just like, I I think just to go back into, for me, it was like the kind of the rant that I went on, went on to just like a little while ago. And just like, you know, in terms of our dreams, it's like, you know, leaving room, uh, leaving room for the unexpected twists and turns of life. 
and let those things kind of shatter the bullshit of, you know, the naivety of our dreams before and let our dreams become kind of wiser in a Mm. sense, you know, like they become wiser and they, and then our dreams better guide us to what we actually authentically genuinely want. Yeah. You know, cause that's what happens when we face the, those twists and turns, it shatters the bullshit. You know, it, it gives you those, those gut checks. It forces you to like, look at something that you've been holding and, and yeah, like it's the, the rigidity. I think like being rigid with our dreams, that was like kind of a thing that when I said it, I was just like, Oh, like not to like say like I'm patting myself on the back here or anything, but <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's good. That's good. Because yeah, yeah. like, I don't know where that came from. Well, that's the thing is you sometimes know, like, you say, like, I know what you mean. Sometimes you say something and you're like, oh, I can't, it's almost like someone was speaking through you. You're yeah. like, cause it's this weird thought banking around in your head until you said it out loud. You didn't even get it. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just got to follow a thought. Sometimes yeah. that's truly what I feel. All I'm doing is like, I'm just following a thought. Like I'm just chasing it down. I'm like, okay, where are you going? I don't even know where you're going. And I'm just speaking it out loud. Yeah. And that was kind of what it was like. And it's like, yeah, it's like, sometimes like, I know I've done that, you know, you get rigid with your dreams and you hold kind of a lie in your mind. The more you hold that lie in your head and try to hold on to what you thought this thing should be and should look like, you cause yourself a lot of pain. It's like, leave yourself open for the mess of it to happen. And, and because that's, it is, it's way more, it's like, yeah, it's messy, but it's way more beautiful than anything that you could have contrived. I should fucking know this stuff by now. <laughs> like, sure feels like it. really like, this I is know. like essentially what, like in some respects, this, this is like what I teach with, with Meisner and teach with actors. It's just like, listen, go with it. Yeah. move with what is actually happening because it's way better than whatever you cooked up in your head. Totally. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. I mean, the way you were wrapping it up, you know, a couple words that stood out to me, well, dreams, obviously, but a couple others were rigidity and mess. And when I'm realizing more as I evolve as an artist, and I really think we're on this evolution thing, it really seems like at least the three last three podcasts, maybe in four, it's been kind of this evolution thing. And I mean, that happens, you know, yeah. we get on these waves of things know, for a little bit. Totally. And I feel like it's been one of those things where it's like, well, you know, um, maybe I've evolved and the rigidity of my past dreams are not so solid anymore. And maybe it's a little bit more messy than I would have initially anticipated because it's more based on my evolution in interacting with this reality. And so I think like, I really, I've been really kind of like embracing the whole idea that there are no answers in the future and no answers from the past that will help you. There is only the answer of right now. And it's hard because right now is not faithful to the past, nor is it faithful to the future. And, and it doesn't need to be, and it's good that it isn't because if, if it was you, you would be locked into something that would just totally mislead you. And, and I think that, um, I think we, we need to embrace the moment. And, and I think the dream is something that it, as much as you, might've come up with it when you were younger, 
you don't have to keep the promise the same way it looked when it was younger, but keep the promise of what you intended to experience, not what it would look like, what it would be, how it would be, or any of that other shit. But you had an idea of what you wanted to experience in life. And there's no, no one can ever stop you, nor can no one ever give you, nor can anything ever give you or take away the experience that you can have. And, um, I think that it's, the reason why I'm embracing a little bit of spirituality more, not because I think that anybody should believe in God or any of that stuff. Now, sometimes I think that I like to just think of spirituality as like, it's a dimension of human experience. Yes. That's how, that's more how I'm looking at yeah. it. You know, not, not any type of religious, just a dimension of human experience. I think that's it. You know, to look at it as though maybe there's a part of your experience that has been very difficult to register because, and, and as you get older, I think we get, we get more and more confined and limited to like, oh, the world is as it is. And you know, there's reality and there's gravity and there's, you know, it's, yeah. like, it's kind of like, well, maybe that is what it is, right? Maybe that is so, but does that have any saying over your experience? Let me just kind of, mm-hmm. let me kind of just gap this. Last night I had a dream. This is going to sound kind of fucking funny and weird. I had a dream of a Spider-Man. Okay. <laughs> nice. I know. Sounds like fun. It was. And I could fucking crawl on walls. I could swing. I could fucking, I was wearing a costume. Nobody knew who I was. And I was experiencing in my dream, what it would be like to be Spider-Man. I've never had quite an experience quite like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know why last night my brain decided, let's go there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I did it. And I was like, what a fascinating thing. I thought, what a fascinating way to experience a moment. And I was like, I've been really loving kind of my dreams recently because my dreams, I don't know what it is. I go to sleep. I give myself a permission to experience the world in a certain way. And so I thought, you know, that's an interesting thing is that there's life that we live, but there's, there's a construct of our imagination that goes to a non-existent place. I mean, it was my interpretation of being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not everybody else's would, would have that experience. I mean, you could, you could, I could have done anything, but I just realized like, as I was thinking about it more, I'm like, that's the dimension that is untraveled. That's the unexplored dimension, you know, is where, and I think that's the beauty of being an actor is like, I think we only give ourselves permission when we get a role. When you're a writer, sometimes maybe we come up with an idea, but we, we can give ourselves permission to experience things far beyond our physical existence. And that's kind of the spirituality I'm talking about is that maybe we have more wisdoms than we even know, right? Because until I tried on that idea, like, not like, oh, that's cool. I saw that in a movie, but like, what's it like to be looked at? You know, what's Mm -hmm. it like to, to deal with this? What are, you know, um, fuck, I don't know. You're, you're hanging upside down from a fucking ceiling and you're like, I could fall and hit the ground. You know, like the actual feelings that would be like, I think like we we look at Spider-Man, but he looks fearless. We look Mm -hmm. at Batman. We look at any of these superheroes. They look fearless, but they would have their own set of fears. I could just imagine being Spider-Man and like part of this dream helped me kind of try that on. And it's not just about Spider-Man. If you're, if you're thinking that, then you're missing my point. It could Mm -hmm. be about anything, but to experience like, what would it actually be like? 
to fucking swing across a fucking cityscape or like crawl upside down or up a wall. Like, let's like, have you ever stood and looked over a 70 foot cliff? I have, and I've jumped off of it. I've even looked off of a, I think 1100 foot or 1600 foot cliff. Like that was basically straight down. Yeah. It's, it brings up something in your body. Oh yeah. So just imagine you were climbing on the side of a wall like that and you, and you, and you know, it was new to you. You might think, man, like what if my webbing or whatever the fuck's holding me this wall fails? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's, there, there's a physiological kind of experience that goes on with these ideas we have. Yeah. And what, what I think happens is we have these dreams and we want, we imagine ourselves driving the Ferrari or the Lamborghini or whatever the hell it is, but we put a physiological experience into that. You don't need the Ferrari and the Lamborghini. That's what we don't get. You actually already have access to that in your mind. And I think the problem becomes is you go, well, if I already have access in my mind, why would I do anything? But you would do things because you would do them because you actually love them. Not, and they would actually gain you more access to your internal world. And I think what happens is we just put too much pressure on our external world to be the answer for everything. So in my roundabout way of answering kind of how I would close this off is that trust that what's going on inside of you has everything you possibly ever needed and more than you can ever imagine. And that your physical world is there to help assist that. And that's the spirituality part of it. That's mm. the part of the dimension that. I think you're and I am, and we all are undervaluing this other dimension of our experience that is perfectly valid and maybe even more valid than what the physical tool of walking through the world is. And I think of it almost like a tool, you know, like my experiences in real life in reality have given me access to a dream like I had last night and the many other dreams that I've had you know, just recently where I've really been embracing this idea. And we've been talking about dreams, but dreams aren't just dreams when you sleep, but dreams when you envision your life, that's still a dream. Yeah. It's still a made up dimension in your mind. So, you know, you know, if that dimension is not going to work in this reality, that doesn't mean that that dream was not good. That dream was still great. Yeah. It just like, I think the tie to like need that dimension to happen in reality is the problem. Okay. I know that was super complicated, but no, I like it. (laughs) It's the best I got. All right, man. Yeah. Well, what a talk. This was great. I like this one. Not so serious Sunday. (laughs) Never serious. You never know. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.